All right, welcome to another episode of Ready, Set, Binge, or dare, dare I say it, after our previous episode, Ready, Set, Binge 2.0, with Dare, me, and Nick. Nick, how's it going? It's going well. I guess we're Ready, Set, Binge reimagined, right? The it's, remix? Uh, the remix. The sequel? All the above. All the above. How's it going, man? It's going well. Um I'm excited to get into different shows now, different shows, different topics, um, accelerate things a little bit, good change of pace for our listeners. I think it's going to be a solid change. I'm ready to go when you are, man. We, we, we know what our first show is. We do. We do. And I am beyond pumped. I am beyond excited because I think this is what, especially I, I can only speak for me and I really, I never I feel like when I do these podcasts on the, on the different ones, I'm constantly saying I don't like putting words in other people's mouths, which I don't, but I feel like I wind up doing it a lot. So I'm really trying to work on that, but I'll speak for me. I'm just pumped because I love TV history. I love TV presently too. And I love talking about it. And I think we're going to be able to do that more in depth and more consistently on uh, ready, set binge with our new format. So I'm pumped, man. Yeah, and it's not like we're going to be focusing on one, you know, time period of television over the other. We're going to look at it all, right? We're going to look at it all. Why are these shows, what makes these shows so binge-worthy? Why do people love them? And we're going to get to talk about some some great, you know, real-life issues, some great themes that come up in these shows. And I think that's going to add a lot of variety to uh, to this new format. Absolutely. So we're starting... And I know it's 2.0, it's a new new format for Ready, Set, Binge, but this is kind of putting the the bow on it, you know, or putting the cherry on top of, I don't, we'll kind of figure that out, but where, where it ranks, but a great sitcom of the 2000s, Parks and Recreation. It ranks in the top 20. Of all time. Of all time. Wow. Top that, 20. That's pretty big. Maybe top 25. Hmm. I don't want to have a foot and mouth moment here. Mm. But you're so good at having those foot and mouth moments, Nick. What can I say? I was born with it. <laughs> All right. You want to break down? We'll give you not just a season three, but overall synopsis of Parks and Rec from my man, Nick. Yeah. So Parks and Recreation was a primetime sitcom in the mockumentary style created by Greg Daniels and Michael Shore. Uh, It aired on ABC from April of 2009 to February of 2015 and featured a dynamic cast of characters led by Amy Poehler as Leslie Nope, the sprightly and determined deputy director of Pawnee, Indiana's Parks and Recreation Department. The series follows Leslie and her fellow government employees as they tackle everything from petty park problems to running a city council election campaign. Uh, Peak seasons, according to popular consensus, as well as our own personal opinion, is seasons three through five. Well done. Well done. Not bad. Not bad. Now, I want to throw out a little did you know that the idea for Parks and Recreation came because Mike Shore, Greg Daniels, 
writers on The Office, and it came as a spinoff. The idea came as they were looking for a spinoff from The Office. I was not 100% on that, but I, I will say this. There is just historically a great risk, usually, in doing spinoffs. Yes. Rarely do they turn out well. So I am relieved uh, to see that the end product was not necessarily a spinoff because I don't know if I would have saw, seen that work. Let me real quick question for you. What's the, in your, I mean, it's only opinion, the greatest spinoff of all time. Frazier. My man. That's why we're doing this. My man. All right. I just wanted to see if you were on your toes. I didn't know, you know, I was, I was going to start questioning things and like, you know, <laughs> if you said, if you said something a little different, but yeah, that's why you're my man. All right. <laughs> yeah. I had to think about it for a second because, you know, there had, you know, there, there, there are others, but that one just stands out above the rest. Okay. Would you, you also know, because they, they were looking for that spinoff and, they said they'd rather do a standalone show rather than a spinoff because they couldn't find a right fit, which I agree with, you know, revisionist history. I don't think there's anyone from the office. I, I'm like, yeah, if you spun them off, they would have a hit show, in my opinion, as much as we both are office fans. That's my opinion. I don't think I think they made the right choice in that. Well, you know, it's funny. D. I mean, could you this is this is a uh, big statement. But could you could you say that we I mean, we got a little sneak preview of what that could be like in seasons eight, and nine. Right. All right. And, and I think, honestly, it's revisionist history. But I think even then there, there wasn't I'm not interested in following Andy by himself or uh, Jim and Pam or Dwight. Like, I think you're right, though. It you know, the Greg Daniels and Michael Shore made absolutely the right decision because seasons eight and nine were kind of like that. And we saw that they really weren't that successful. Let me throw a question out to you. Yes, sir. If you were tasked with creating a spinoff for the office, which character would you choose? Which one do you think would have the most potential? I would have chosen Andy Bernard, but I would have chose him going to like, like in a different setting, either he's like returning to Cornell as like a professor or like Andy, like in a new job and, and he's trying to like make his way like that for me would have been what I would have chose. Same here. I was the exact same name came to mind for me. Um, Andy, unless you did some goofy thing where you, you did like a, you know, Dwight running shrewd farms as like a bed and breakfast, which I, I definitely couldn't see that on, not on network TV. No, I don't. I don't even know on streaming. Maybe it has, that has to be a streaming. That show. would be like a like a YouTube mm-hmm. kind of you know like a little little YouTube thing. I agree. But anyway, another fun fact is you know that once they came up with the idea about doing it about local government, the idea it was that that idea came from looking at how local politics was portrayed on. HBO's The Wire. I did not know that. So isn't that something that who would have thought that The Wire and Parks and Rec would have ever been a connection in any way, but 
this was inspired because of seeing how local politics was, you know, portrayed on the wire. It just shows that, you know, exceptional talent, these creators that look to, de- to develop these shows, they pull inspiration from all genres. That's not just one, right? So I would never have expected The Wire to have an association with Parks and Rec, but it's pretty cool to hear. Yeah. Um, another fun fact, Michael Shore, because they went to, they went to, you know, they're in California, so they were, so for research, attending local, uh, you know, town hall, city council meetings in the LA area, and the inspiration for the great breakout character, Ron Swanson, came from Michael Shore meeting a libertarian government official who said openly, I don't believe in the mission of my job. Yes, I had heard something about that. And it's 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 really difficult to imagine that someone like that actually exists in government just because of all of the corruption and the, the lack of trust in government right now. Like, you know, that someone is actually conscientiously thinking of the people and their personal liberties and and freedoms and, you know, almost kind of wants to cause disruption from within the belly of the beast, which is Ron Swanson's character. I was surprised to find that out because I thought that of all the characters on the show, he was one of the more extreme caricatures of, you know, one of the most, you know, extreme and and outlandish like exaggerations of, of the character Although I enjoyed it immensely, um, but yeah, it was surprising to find that that was a real thing. No, and I and that's I think if you looked at it when we were talking about you know season three, I think that was kind of like a, not a debate but a discussion that are the I think these really aren't exaggerations. Now the characters are maybe played, you know, bigger, and, and I kind of look back when I see like people talking about like wrestling in the 90s and like even you know all that stuff like the attitude era when they talk about like stone cold or the rock or all that stuff they were like no they were really being themselves it's just they were being themselves bigger and i think there's a difference from like just a big exaggeration where it's fake to no these are things that are real you just make it bigger if that makes sense and i think that's what i've gotten from all the years of watching parks and rec it's these maybe the character in real life they wouldn't be as big and as loud and stuff like that like they're kind of like ratcheted up but they're real that's really like you meet interesting people and characters when you're working in local government yeah i think even though it's it's a bit exaggerated the the situations are real the issues are real um it's they're just dressed up a little bit and presented in a way that it's hilarious. And I'll give this last one that the writers, a lot of, and we've said it, and a lot of people still feel this way to this day that during season one of Parks and Recreation, the character Leslie Nope seemed, you know, pretty dumb and ditzy. And pretty much you heard was a female Michael Scott, but that Michael Shore has said on many uh, interviews that that was not the intention for Leslie Nope. They were not intending her to be stupid or dumb or female Michael Scott. They were looking at her as an over-eager woman who was taking the job 
too seriously. And after feedback from the audience, they made it where she is and made it really known to the audience that she's very intelligent, very capable. I think they, you still see that she takes it too seriously at times, but uh, in, a, in, a, in a nice way. But uh, they made a point to show her as a more intelligent and very good at her job than what was in the first season. Yeah, they shed the buffoonery that Michael Scott was mostly known for. But isn't it kind of interesting to me where it's funny that from the outside, it looks like, wow, you really were. Maybe I wouldn't say a carbon copy of Michael Scott, but that to me, it's like that's a slam dunk that I would think you purposely were trying to make her look you know, not intelligent and that that was not the intention of the writers at all. That's why I think it's fun to break these things down because I'm with the people that when I watch a season one Parks and Rec, Leslie Nope is, doesn't come off as too bright. No, no, she's, um, they had to do something with her character because she was borderline intolerable at times. Um, I, I would just get so like, you know, annoyed kind of watching it. As you know, I told you this before, I didn't start with season one. I started with season two, and I'm glad that I did, because if I started with season one, I might not have made it to season two. And I might be years behind on, on, uh, you know, loving this show as much as I do. It's now one of my favorite shows of all of, you know, personally of, of what I've seen. And it's interesting because you wonder, like, how does it how does that happen? Like organically like that, though, because. I mean, subconsciously somewhere, someone had to be thinking about Michael Scott. I, I don't know. That's just my own personal opinion. Say that for me again. I think subconsciously, like one of the writers or director or maybe even Amy Poehler had to be like thinking of the Michael Scott character in some way. Like, how does that just happen organically again that she winds up being like Michael Scott, even though that wasn't their intention. I think so, too. I think it's, you know, because you, you leave that show, The Office, and go right toward... And because they also had to do... It's funny, though, I'll say this. Both characters uh, had to do a shift. Michael Scott, you know, season one, Michael Scott's very different than what you see seasons two through seven for Michael Scott. And then Leslie is very different in season one than what you see the rest of the show where Michael was too kind of cynical, maybe a little too sharp, a little too nasty. You didn't really see the uh, lovable part in him in season one. Though I still found him very funny, but I definitely see he was not as lovable. But um, they flipped that in season two. And uh, you see the same thing with uh, with Leslie Nope. So I, I agree with you. I think it was maybe subconscious. Because I think that was what their goal was for season two on for Michael, which is he's not, you see, he's not bad at his job, but he is over eager to please, over eager to be liked by his, uh, you know, employees. And I think that's what they were trying to go for with Leslie in season one. Right, right. I agree. Um, I have one for you to okay. kind of close things out. A, a did you know? Um, so Adam Scott had an interview with GQ a while back and he was asked about how he got casted on Parks and Rec. Now it came as a surprise to me. I did not know that he originally auditioned for the show when he was still technically a cast member of Party Down before that got canceled. 
he auditioned for Parks and Rec before Parks and Rec even went on the air. So he initially read for what he believed was not really a part, but he read for the show and that they build a part around him should he be cast. And he did not get it initially. Fast forward two years later, and this is why I wanted to bring this up. They eventually bring him back as well as um, Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe, sorry, Rob Lowe. They bring them both back to kind of rescue, you know, try to save the series. And I, I was wondering what your opinion was. Do you think things would have been different if they cast him initially? Um, depends on what. I don't know. Because the, I, I think he played that part of Ben Wyatt so great. And I think it had to go this way. I, I think things are differently, and, but not in a positive. I don't think the show, and that's not a credit to Adam Scott's acting. I think he's a very good actor. I think it's in part a credit to um, they need it. As much as he's a bad character, I'm looking back now. I think they need to go through those those hurdles because I, he Adam Scott doesn't fix the way that you portray Leslie Nope in season one. That's that's not that's beyond him. True, it doesn't portray, you know fix the way that they kind of were just lacking something. And to me, it's not just Adam Scott. It was the addition of Adam Scott and Rob Lowe together. So and also, I I don't know if you have him if Adam Scott's in Brandanowitz like. Is it better? Yeah, I guess, but it's still. I think it's just it was written and they didn't give it any attention. I think you needed to make that character Ben Wyatt, and I also think that you need it because if you watch, especially season one of Party Down, the second season was garbage in my opinion, but season one of Party Down is funny, and you really got to see Adam Scott's comedic ability. So I think they needed that to create the Ben Wyatt character for him. So I think. It wouldn't have changed the the history of it starting off slow and needing that rise. You know, it's funny. I never watched the second season of Party Down. I watched the first season, fell in love with the show, and then I heard they were canceling it. So I never even gave the second season season a shot because I was so bummed. So thank you for confirming that I made the right decision. You did. You did. And, Um, And I had heard that before I watched second season. That it was not good and it was it was bad, and I was like, well, you know, I should give this a chance myself. I always believe in, you know, even those people who are, you know, you trust their opinions when it comes to TV or movies. It's still good to see it for your own eyes because, hey, they, you know, people disagree and people don't see certain things that you see and don't maybe appreciate certain things. But uh, all those people who said season two of Party Down was bad, they were right. Yeah, and some people say that Parks and Rec is better than The Office, but, you know, uh, you can't help those people. Oh. Oh. I'm just saying. It's not a debate. Shots fired by Nick Prince. It's not a debate. We should have a debate episode at some point. I think we could have a debate episode on a lot of things, on, you know, your love of The Office. Definitely, I want to debate and fillet you on your love of Seinfeld. There's going to be no filleting. Well, filleted. My love of Seinfeld is deeply rooted. Okay? It goes way back to my childhood. I got a lot of, a lot of good memories there. I might be a little biased, but that's fine. I'll admit that. There's not... You can't... How do you debate Seinfeld? 
Oh, and that is the that is the goat. I debate that. Not that it's a great show, but I debate that it's the goat. I see. I don't see. I don't see that. I don't see that as debatable. That's the greatest sitcom of all time. Yes. Oh yeah, it's definitely debatable, and it's it's incorrect. <sighs> Just like people can make the case for Parks and Rec over Seinfeld, and we will definitely have a debate. What? Show. What did you people... just say? What the words that just came out of your mouth? What I, was that? As Stanley said, did I stutter? I did not <laughs> stutter. You heard the words. You heard the words that came out of my mouth, man. There's there's a lot with this. There's a lot. I think you can definitely make a case for it. You must have some network connectivity problems going on in your brain right now. Please. You got the wires crossed. Please. Because there is no way. First of all, you just said earlier that when I mentioned Parks and Rec as a top 20, you kind of gave me a, uh, really? I didn't say that I'm the one who's saying it. I didn't say that Jeremy disagrees with you. Like on Seinfeld, that's Jeremy disagreeing with you. I'm saying that I have seen and read and heard people give arguments that are definitely, they're not, I wouldn't laugh them out of court. I respect that if they say, because a lot of people don't call, I think The Office is getting the recognition the past like year or two as an all-time sitcom. For a while, The Office, when it was on and when it went off, did not, you weren't hearing it up there as an all-time sitcom. So, revisionist history, my friend. Revisionist history. Sometimes it takes the masses a little while to come to their senses. I mean, that's why we do this show, because we're always ahead of the masses. We're, we're, you know, we are the standard. Well, know? it depends. Am I, am I, if, do I get a reservation for objective Deremy or real Deremy? What do you mean a reservation? Like, What's that mean? Who's coming to the show? Who's coming to the conversation? Oh, I need always, to know. Always, uh, when we talk about the all-time shows, when I say my personal favorites, that's, that's not objective me. Because Seinfeld doesn't hit when it comes to sitcoms. I, if I'm on an island and it's like you can take 20 sitcoms that you could always play on repeat the rest of your life, Seinfeld on my personal list doesn't even hit that. But on an objective list, I, I definitely would put Seinfeld as a top five sitcom for sure. Maybe top three, maybe, not sure. But definitely top five, or, but not number uno. First of all, top five disrespect. Second of all, <laughs> <laughs> it's disrespect. It's That's not. All it is. You're so biased. You're not. You're not unbiased on Seinfeld. No, no, no. Well, first of all, hold, hold on. I can be. I can remove my bias. I can be. I know how to be objective. I know how to even with Seinfeld. Listen, objectively, top five is disrespect. It is. What is? What is it? What should it be? I was uh, top three at least. No, that's not uh, at least. It's yeah. not at least. Of course, because, it's because there are two spots above that that it could be. Yes, of least. Because at least. honestly, to me, the case we're going to go here, people. This is what happens on this show. It's all about or, organic conversation. It's all about it now. Because if we, I'm going to say this: I have Cheers, All in the Family, and The Office, but for my like top three years. And now we want to get depends on how far back we want to go. Because then you can make a case for I Love Lucy or the Honeymooners if you want to go to the 50s, which they definitely have a strong case. And 
if we're not doing just network TV, there is a strong case that you could put Curb Your Enthusiasm in there over Seinfeld. Now, that is a lot of – so that's why it's not that easy, my friend. Oh, contraire. First of all, Curb Your Enthusiasm shouldn't even be considered because they're why? not – Well, here, here, first of all, it's completely different television. They're not working within the same parameters. Okay. So when we look at greatest dramas, The Wire, Breaking Bad, and Sopranos should be out of it. That's a good point. Hmm? Hmm? You know, I hate to admit it when you have a good point. Mm-hmm. You're going to have to do that a lot, man. Just just start when we're off the air, practice in the mirror. That's I don't a good point, Derek. Like You're right, Derek. Feeling. Correct, Jeremy. Just start practicing. It makes it easier by when we start recording. You're right, Jeremy. Uh, Why did I, I'm sorry I disagreed with you, Jeremy. You're uh, always <sighs> right, Jeremy. Just I'm, start practicing. I'm going to be Nick. breaking a lot of mirrors. Hey, hey. I'll talk to Jess about you know having a little Jess's Nick's wife for our listeners. I'll talk to Jess about you know having a little fun for you know you breaking the mirrors thing because it's going to happen a lot. So I'll talk to her after the show. So save a little money aside. Nick's going to be breaking mirrors and breaking things because he's going to have to say that Jeremy is right a lot. So just you know, be prepared. Just be prepared. Well, can we at least agree that Parks and Rec is on our personal top 20? Oh, for sure. For okay. sure. Okay. Well, then let's, let, you know, begs the question, why? You know, why did this show, and we're going we're gonna to keep coming back to, season three as we begun you know our podcast with season three seasons three through five were the peak of the show i agree why what about this show was so binge worthy why do you think it caught on the way that it did i mean it took some time sure but it's got a huge cult following now um one of i I, i'll say this one of the things that i think people it 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 gave I think we all look for this, whether we want to admit it or not. There's a few things I can say. But first, I'll say this. I think it, what it has is we all, whether it's by our our blood, you know, slash like nuclear families, or if it's, you know, through the workplace or through whatever community, you know, I think we all look for that place of community. And you saw that in Parks and Rec. And you saw that it was also at its purest. What we want is we want to be accepted in that community for who we truly are. And I think what you saw is everybody accepted. There was a lot of different personalities working at Parks and Rec, even in the community, the people who would come in, those those guest stars who were coming in all the time, you know, um, the friends of certain people and, and the ex-wives and of certain people. But they were still part of the community. And I think that is what people get. Why people love this show is you're a part of a part of Pawnee. You feel welcome. You feel like, yeah, I wouldn't mind as crazy as it is. I would want to work in this department and I want to be a part of this little small town in Indiana. And that, you know, as crazy as they are, there's something to it for that episode that we saw where uh, the, the last one we did about a. Uh, at that town council when Ben says this town is crazy, but I respect that they all care and they care about their community because they're a part of that community. 
and they feel comfortable to be their true selves in their community. So to me, a big thing, I think that why people can binge watch this over and over is that feeling of community. And I love saying the word community. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel like that sense of community kind of extends like when you look at the workplace, right. And you look at Leslie's relationship with her employees and really they, she is the boss. I mean, we forget that sometimes because of how much she cares for them, but she is the boss. It's like they have their own little family within that, that workplace. And often while, you know, when I watch the show, I think about that. Like what, what jobs out there, like you see how loyal and dedicated they all are to one another. Right. And especially to Leslie, like Leslie's loyal, you know, almost to a fault and what she like does for others, you know, how she celebrates occasions with them and she um, is willing to, you know, work with them or, and, and lead projects on the weekends. It just got me thinking you know, you think about those jobs out there that force you to work. I mean, I hate to use the word force, but you wind up working around the clock, right? Mm -hmm. Like you spend a lot of time. It's not a nine to five. You spend a lot of time with your coworkers physically outside of the brick and mortar, you know, workplace, wherever you are. And to me, that creates like additional bonds. And it's hard to not look at your coworkers in that sense as family. And I see, I think we see that play out in Parks and Rec and that, that they become a lot closer than just, you know, as Ron would say, workplace associates. Right. You know, much to, to his dismay, they wind up being lifelong friends. And I think I, that's something that people love about the show because I, I feel like we all just naturally as human beings seek out that belonging or want that feeling of, you know, the fact that you're doing work worth doing, you're, you're, you're doing good work, you're making things happen that have, have a positive impact on your community. Um, you want to be doing work that has value and you, if you can do it, and get along with your coworkers and have a sense of belonging and a sense of like, you know, that, that familial um, relationship. I just, I think that that's something that is warm and endearing. And I think that's one of the, the standouts of the show is how they all bond. No, I, I agree a thousand percent with that. And I think it's, it's this case that you see it in parks and rec and, and you kind of see it in the office too. You know, and there'll be a lot of similarities between the shows because they're they're both Mike Shore, Greg Daniels, who I think, you know, Mike Shore, when it's all said and done, he'll get the recognition as a TV mogul the way I'm not going to say he's Norman Lear, but the way we talk about Norman Lear, Aaron Spelling, like My- Michael Shore will get there because he's he's made some great sitcoms of the of the 2000s, 21st century. So props to Mike Shore for that but I'll say this we all have it and I can say for me you're part of this Nick even where I you know that saying you know good company makes a bad job worth it and for I'll start for our connection you know 
good company makes a bad job worth it. Where we went to college at, we weren't at the, we went to Temple and we weren't at the main campus, which had like the nicer um, living conditions. We were on a satellite campus in Ambler, PA that has seen its better days. You know, my brother's seven years older than me. And when I remember when he went to tour Ambler, it was a vibrant bumping campus with a lot of activities. He has shown me pictures, even Nick, as of the past few weeks, some of his friends who he met at Ambler and still in contact showed him pictures of um, what's that hall that we were at the, uh, the community hall. And it was bumping. It was a Halloween party and it was packed. Oh, bright hall. Thank you. Bright hall. And I'm like, wow, I know the building, but I'm surprised because there's so many people and people are looking (laughs) happy. You don't recognize it? (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, there's happy happy people. And there's a party and people actually attended besides that that club that threw the party. (laughs) And there's people are celebrating and it's all these it's packed and it's a great success. And there's happy memories. And I'm like, by the time I got there and you were there, that never happened. But. What made that place worth it, and and I left there a year, you know, leaving the campus a year before you, was that I we had the company. So as dingy as the place was, I didn't care about, I mean, definitely I didn't want it to be nasty and dirty, but, like, I didn't care about that. I, I didn't have, oh, this big suite, and it looks so, like, oh, like a, you know, like a midtown Manhattan apartment or something. I enjoyed that I had friends there, and I could be myself. And honestly, for me, that was probably the first time I look at in my life that I was myself and I knew I wasn't trying to fit in or I was being me was when I got to that place. And I will always have an appreciation for that. But if you look at it, if I showed people when we were there or even now where we were at, they'd be like, this dump, why'd you come here? And I would get it. I would totally understand. These these walls are very orange. Yes, very orange and bleak. But the good company made it worth it. And you see that in jobs, too. And as someone, since I've graduated college, having two, most, you know, mostly two jobs that, like you said, weren't just nine to five. They kind of kept you, you know, you had different hours. You, know, you might go earlier in the morning. You might stay later for situations. I can say I had one that had great company that I went, wound up being just like at Parks and Rec. I was there in a the hospital when children were born. I went to weddings. I saw people get engaged. They're still good friends of mine now. They wanted to know my life and talk to me. And when I was struggling, they wanted to reach out for me. And then the job I, you know, have now, it's not that. It's a job like that, but it's very cold and it's very distant with my coworkers. And it's a big adjustment. So that good company makes a tough job or a bad job worth it. I think you see that in parks and rec that we no matter what the job is if we have people that we like to see and they like to see us it makes it a lot better whether we want it better or not yeah i i have also been down both of those roads i have um one of my first jobs out of college uh was was an office job before before i went into teaching and uh it was a very small office there was only about six people and it was one of my first experiences, you know, because you, you get jobs in college and like, it's just different. 
because you're working with, with your other friends a lot of the times and you get to know, you know, I, I was in, in admissions. I got to know some of the, the, the admissions counselors and everybody was real close and it was like a communal vibe. And that's often what you get with, with university. But, you know, going out in the real workplace, I'm like, I don't really know what to expect. And it was interesting because for the first time in my life, I saw six people going to the office, do their work, do it well, didn't socialize, went home. And I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, man, this is, this is strange. Like they don't even, they don't even really talk to one another about, about anything, like let alone personal stuff. It's just like, you went in, did your work, did it well, you went home, repeat. And you put it on repeat. And then I get into teaching and it's a whole other world. It's like you're doing stuff on weekends and nights and, you know, you're involved with, with, parents and the actual community, the entire community of the school. And it affects your, your life. You, it affects you personally. You feel like you're part of uh, part of a family, you know, if you're, if you're in the right place, which, which I was, I felt like I was part of, you know, this, this family. And with that dynamic, no matter what happened at work, you had so much support. Like you felt, supported you felt like you could lean on your your coworker. they understood i feel like that's such an important dynamic to have in the workplace not all people find it necessary and i understand that but you know i don't really agree with it has to be either your they're your coworkers or their family and like a lot of people just want to keep you know their coworkers, their coworkers. And that's that's separate. Like that 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 scene in the office where Michael meets up with Ed Truck. Remember mm-hmm. that scene? And he's like, "Yeah, Ed Truck's like, why? You know, Michael loves to think of the office as a family." And Ed Truck is like, "Why can't your 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 workers be your workers? Your family be your family? Your friends be your friends?" And I'm like, I don't know if I agree with that. And I think in Parks and Rec you see that it's not it's not that clear cut. Like in the office, you looked at it and. You you look at Michael, you look at Michael and you saw, okay, he's trying a little too hard to make, like, not everybody wants to be his friend. Not everybody wants, they just want to do their work and go home. They don't want to be a family. But in Parks and Rec, you see the opposite of that. You see them all devoted and loyal to one another. And I think that was one of the coolest parts of the show. Yeah, I think it's not. I get it. And some people can separate it, but it's not clear cut because you look at, like you said, a lot of times these jobs are whether, you, you know, I've had conversations with friends of mine who are like, you know, if you're nine to five, you clock in at nine, but five o'clock, you should be done. And is, is are those friends wrong? Absolutely not. But it is hard depending on what you're doing, how much you personally care, how much you're invested. Now it can go too far where you're staying too late. And especially we start getting to that thing of you're not, you know, hourly you're not clocking in, so you're not getting paid for doing all this extra stuff. Like, well, how much is too much? But it you spend so much time. And I do think I, I go back to hearing Lauren Michaels, the great producer of Saturday Night Live, you know, a legend. And something that I've heard people who are cast members in the past or writers say that Lauren has told them is the likability of the people he brings on the cast matters or on writing staff. It matters on how well they work with others, but also he said, Hey, we're here during the week. 
working all throughout the night. You know, every, a lot of people know the infamous SNL writing schedule throughout that week leading up to Saturday night. And he's like, I don't want to turn the corner on a Tuesday night. It's 2 or 3 a.m. And I see someone down the hall and I'm like, ugh, I can't stand to see it. I would like, turn around and go the other way. And I totally get that. Maybe they're not family, but it is someone who, A, because it is a job, I should want to feel comfortable talking about the job or asking questions or maybe venting about something with the job, you know what I mean, or needing help. I should feel comfortable, like, when it comes to the job with you. But, B, maybe we don't hang out necessarily. But while we're there and we have downtime, we can maybe go get, eat lunch together. Or maybe, you know, you know, you get those days where you're kind of restless and you're bored. And maybe we can talk about, did you watch this show? Did, are you going to see this movie? Did you watch this, you know, this game? Like, you can talk to, and they make the workday pleasant. Then it's just like, all right, let me, you know, this is pre-corona, but stay stuck in traffic, you know, driving to work. I'm miserable. I'm antsy. I know I have a big, crazy day. Then you go to work, and you're isolated, and you had a tough day at work. And then you just clock out, and you get back in your car, and you're tough, you know, traffic, fighting that, going home. You're miserable, but then if you have people you enjoy, maybe you don't hang out with them, but you enjoy their company while you're there, it makes the shift or it makes the time go by a lot quicker. It does, Uh, and I always think about um, the one episode of Parks and Rec where they pull the all-night fundraiser. Yes. And they're like just trying to hold out to wait for Tom, who's supposed to be – um, D- delivering we, deadlift shrimp. Yeah, delivering deadlift shrimp. Really, deadlift is delivering him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's in the back of the car, just super he had, drunk. Well, he, said, he, he said he had two or one light beers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it, obviously it was more than he could handle. Yes. Creator of snake juice. Yes. Um, but it's like, I mean, unless you're with people that you really – enjoy spending like who else would you do that for i mean like leslie's like slamming down um uh sweetums uh power bars like they're like they're you know game fuel and you know ron's like sleeping on the couch having having his his fighting he's, he's like sleep fighting and like they're going up there to volunteer in front of live television, their unique talents to keep people occupied. I mean, who else would you do that for? But family. Well, I'll, I'll say this too. There's also a big difference I've seen. And I've been really looking at this since for the past, like, you know, 15 years of my life, there's a difference you can, where I think maybe, maybe I'm not sure, but can help. And you tell me, Nick, separate that balance. Like you mentioned the Ed truck quote and that thing where the difference between Having good friends, but also, but you know, it's one thing, but having good teammates. Um, I reference, like, uh, for those who don't know sports, you know, Sports Center on ESPN, maybe the most famous duel to do Sports Center, Dan Patrick and Keith Oberman. Those are names you know now for different reasons. But in the 90s, they were, a, they really were a popular duo doing sports highlights. And to hear Dan, and they did it together for five years. And Dan Patrick says it now. He's like, you know, I never hung out with Keith. I never did all that stuff. We didn't hang out. Our families didn't interact. You know, he, we were working crazy hours, but he said Keith Oberman was the best teammate he ever had. 
He said, if my microphone didn't work, Keith would just automatically, I wouldn't have to ask. He would just hand his mic to me while I'm reading a, 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 a highlight and do that. Or he would hand me a script. You know, if my monitor went down, he would kind of help me out and point to my his monitor. He was a good teammate. And I think sometimes it's great to, I know that at, a, at jobs, there's people who I'm like, yeah, I don't know what it would be like to hang out with you. Um, you know, on a social setting, but you're a good teammate. When it comes to the job, I can count on you and I don't want to let you down. And I know you don't want to let me down and, and you help me out. And I know I'm not in this fight alone because there's also to me, the vice versa. I have good friends of mine who they're friends, but they're, I don't know if they're the best teammates either, but we're friends if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, I think as teammates, the, the teams that work, the best together are they're made up of people with similar character traits. And one of those is, you know, consideration of your teammates, like, like being considerate, being considerate of others. I think the difference between a good teammate and a good friend or a good family member is when you're on a team, you're all dedicated to the same goal, right? Whether it's winning a championship in sports or in Parks and Rec where they're trying to win, uh, help Leslie win um, a seat on the city council, right? right? They're all dedicated to that same goal. Um, and they're determined to, to make it work. And by the way, that turns out to be one of the best seasons of Parks and Rec is uh, season four when they're going through that, Absolutely. that uh, election. They're, they're like, you know, you know, name, you know, she, Leslie's concerned at that point because, you, you know, running a campaign means like so many hours and so much time outside of the workplace. And she can't she doesn't feel like she can ask that of them. But then, you know, there's that really good line that always stood out to me that Ron says, you know, ask, um, you know, is there anyone here who, you know, never needed to ask you to put your life on hold? to help them. Like, you, you know, you've, you've extended right. a hand to everyone here. Let us finally, you know, do this for you collectively as a group. Absolutely. I can speak on for me, real life experiences. I've had to have people say that to me. Cause I think a lot of us struggle with, you don't want to appear weak and, and it's a problem. I, and for me, I'll speak on it. I think it's a problem still. And I think we're trying to make improvements, but it's a problem we have in our society where no, you know, you're afraid to ask for help because it's always individual and you do it all on yourself and you make it by yourself and you pull yourself up from whatever. And we don't realize that we need to ask for it. And I've had people even, I'll be honest, Nick, when it comes to starting podcasts in the past or presently and people saying, well, why don't you ask for help? Wouldn't, if, they, if that person asked you for help, would you not want to help them? And I would go, yeah. Well, then they should want to help you, and they probably do want to help you. And I've had to have people put it that way for me to be like, okay, and to swallow some pride and to ask for help. So I think that's a, a very good point. And um, I even say this. We've talked about Jerry in, in one of the, when we were looking at season three, one of our past episodes. And even though this is Jerry the brunt of jokes, yes. Jerry is accepted, though, as who he really is. And I don't recall a lot of times Jerry not being – he's part of the crew. Yeah. He's, oh, he's always one of them. And I think – because a lot of times you can look at him and be like, why would Jerry want to be there? You know what I mean? 
Yeah, I mean, you saw the same thing with Toby in the office. Yeah, but and I think even more so with Jerry than Toby. Toby's kind of not part of the crew as much to me as Jerry. Like you saw when Leslie, like they came back season the first episode. She Leslie didn't forget Jerry. Like, and it's funny she threw his painting away, but she's like, "You're not going to need this." But like Jerry's part, like she went and got Jerry. Like she didn't get just Ron and Donna and Tom. She got Ron, Donna, Tom. She got Jerry. Jerry's part of the crew. And and even I love my favorite episode is that season five where you know doing the best man for you know Ben is engaged his his best man bachelor party and Chris's best man and they do Ben's. And what is Ben's? It's it's he wants to play those that kind of like Dungeon and Dragon themed board game. But then they do everyone's what they their ideal bachelor party. And Jerry gets included. And even though Jerry's is going to that ice cream shop and getting uh some ice cream an ice cream cone, <laughs> you know, they still do that. And, and they're still so down. funny when you say it out loud. It is, but I love it though. I love because that's what a bachelor party should be. A lot of times we're like, oh, we got to make it big and go to Vegas. When it's cool if someone, if their thing is they'd want to sit there and binge watch The Office, like, and eat good food. That's what it should be. Or if they wanted to go hiking, and that was it. Like, that's what it really should be. And I love that episode. And even with that, and they make, does Jerry, is he the brunt of jokes? Yeah. And sometimes do you look as an audience member, at least for me, and be like, oh, shouldn't do that. But Jerry's never forgotten, and Jerry's part of the crew, and you know that they love and care about Jerry. That's a good point because, you know, unless you really, really care for that person, like like, uh, like uh, at least half of the, the events that they did in that episode, someone wound up being uncomfortable. Yes. <laughs> like, one of places, like, you know, you're playing a nationally ranked player in Settlers of Catan. Yeah. In Ben Wyatt. And then, you know, Ron is getting whiskey rubbed on his hands at the <laughs> uh, at that fancy bar. A molecular molecular mixologist. One of my favorite quotes, by the way, when Ron. All right. You know, it was Tom's turn and they, they're getting ready to go. And, I, you know, something about consuming alcohol and then Ron. There's no wrong way to consume alcohol. And then they go to that place. This is the wrong way to consume alcohol. <laughs> I love that line. Yeah, that's a classic. That's a classic. That's such a good episode. Yeah, one of, I think it's my – I'm not saying it's the best episode, but it's my personal favorite because I – it meant a lot, as especially for – as a, I thought it was very cool, like the part with Andy and going – you know, Jim Irsay and Andrew Luck and Reggie Wayne. It was cool. Um and it's funny, I went to Indianapolis last year for the Combine um, and, and went to that stadium. And it's funny now, I walk, I met Jerry Jones outside of the steakhouse that they went for Ron's bachelor party. Jerry Jones, who owns the Dallas Cowboys, his bus was parked out there and me and my brother met him. So I'm like, wow, this is, the, this is Ron's. It was crazy. It was like, this is Ron's best. This is a real spot. And I rewatching that episode like recently and I'm like, well, we were there and met Jerry Jones, a Hall of Famer. You know, we don't like him because we're Eagles fans, but still it was like a crazy if by accident too. <laughs> you know, but it was uh it, it's funny. Like I just love that episode because I think that's what um and also for me, Nick knows I was at Nick's wedding. He's one of the like fifteen weddings I've been in. You've been a lot of weddings, six, man. I, 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 yeah, like there's 27 dresses. There's 
27 Tuxes should be a movie. I yes. can make that movie. You would star in that movie. Highly, yes. He's the most highly recruited groomsman I've ever seen. Yeah, I, and I didn't. I thought everyone had this, but apparently not. Um, yeah, I. Cause by the time I got to yours, I think that was like number ten. <laughs> you know, I had yeah, a few more after pro. that. Yeah, I, I've been there, done that. So that's why I guess it hits to me too, because I thought about mine. I'm not married. Um, I thought about mine, and I've been a part of others, and kind of convincing people that that's what it should be. That's brotherhood. That's friendship. What the groom and like, hey, we're not not about us. It's about the groom. Yeah, and I think that selflessness shows itself throughout the throughout the show, and it kind of uh, manifests in in that one episode, um, and kind of on the on the girl side too, because I mean, you got April and Anne digging through the dirt for Leslie, you know, so not as fun, but. Still, selfless act. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to hit you with, with, with something real quick. I want to get your opinion. As, as I look back on this show, I, I, I began to ask myself a question. Maybe you can help me sort through it. I saw this, like, this theme of the thankless job, right, with this show. And mm-hmm. that Leslie just seems like she does she tries so hard for the community and she works beyond the hours that she's required to work but yet the citizens remain petty and selfish and individualistic and she's she's just she works a thankless job mm-hmm. and you see it at its peak, you see it when she's in and she's um, uh, got her seat at the uh, in city council, and she's trying to do work there and trying to navigate, you know, corrupt government politics with her with, within her own ethics that she's trying to maintain. Does the thankless job lend itself more easily to situational comedy? Do you think? Than a drama. Yeah, because I'm, I'm think. I mean, uh, not necessarily, in my opinion. No, from certain you know situations that can arise. I mean, you see it all the time, like in Parks and Rec with, with the town hall meetings and how that, how that, uh, how that goes. The whole recall fight with with Leslie. I, it just got me thinking. This this thankless job, you know that that she has. This a thankless job in general, whatever it may be, lend itself you know, more easily to funny moments. No, no. I think it does both. I think you can, I think it lends itself to not necessarily funny moments or not necessarily the most, I think it lends itself to real moments. So I think it's Mm. good in comedies, but then I look at dramas from the West Wing, a lot of thankless, thankless jobs, you know, it's based on the West Wing, you know, the president, but even a lot of times his job, you know, is, thankless but then you look at the staff and you know all down like no one knows a lot of people don't know like the 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 deputy chief of staff of an administration or a communications director you know that's a thankless job like no one's knowing that like not like they're getting praised like hey you know like no one knows them um or you look at like law and order 
and shows like that. Those are dramas. The Wire, we mentioned The Wire earlier. A lot of thankless jobs. They focus on a lot of those jobs from you know different seasons, from newspapermen to you know teachers to the cops to a lot of thankless jobs. So I think uh, the thankless job works itself. I think the shows that I like that portray them. Whether it's a comedy or a drama, to me, it's the the real moments. It's realness from it, um, and and that's what I look at it as. Like it's a real, genuine thing. Whether it, you show or serious like that, it is a thankless job. And if you're in it for the, and it's hard to balance that. Cause I think a lot of times our hearts can be in the right place, but you want to be that guy who helps make the difference and changes the world and people know it, blah, blah, blah. But you got to realize that it's a lot of stuff. You're one person. And a lot of times what the impact you make, you may not even realize the impact you make ever, or it might be way down the line if you do make an impact. And also um, that's what keeps you going is you have to know that if you're looking to be thanked, you will fizzle and burn out. Oh yeah. You can't in, in all of those jobs that you just mentioned, you can't, you don't last in any of those career paths if you are seeking praise. You just you don't last if you're seeking praise or you're or you're doing it for the money. There has to be some sort of genuine part of you that is doing it for either the good of the people um, or some you know benefit to to society or, the, or if you truly believe in it. And I'm glad I'm glad you brought up that point about dramas because you're helping me work through this question. When I think about other shows that you mentioned, and um, the other one on off the top of my head is uh, Grey's Anatomy. Mm-hmm. You see what a lot like a lot of doctors and what surgeons like the sacrifices that they make that you don't see, whether it be you know spending time with their family, you know waking up in the middle of the night to respond to a call. Um, it was just something that came to mind as I yeah. watched Parks and Rec because you see Leslie, like she's taken time out of her day to go in one episode. She goes to help someone figure out um, how to get rid of slugs in their garden. And she like researches like how like the best methods and comes up with like the, the like sprinkling like the, the coffee, um, the, the coffee grinds. Uh, in the garden, she's like literally on her hands and knees as part of this, you know, no, no problem too small uh, thing where she's trying to like win back, you know, the citizens that are trying to recall her. And it's just like, man, like there's so much sacrifice that goes into that. And that helps her be such a lovable character. So evolved from season one. (laughs) Yeah. You know, um, so that was just a part of the show that that stood out to me and that I think helped facilitate a lot of the situations and a lot of the lovable moments um, for Leslie. And, you know, you see that see those virtues come out um, and, you know, makes makes that the cast more more um, lovable and, and more relatable. No, I, I'm glad that's a very good question you asked. Like, I think it's it's good to look at and talk about. Um, so I'm. Definitely good. I'm glad you asked it and led to that discussion. A thing that I looked at uh, also with this show, a big theme that I don't know necessarily. I think in some ways it hits you really in the face, in other ways it's subtle. Is the 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 way they look at gender on this show? Mm. And I think if you look at, I love how they do both the men and the women. I think with the women, 
they really do a good job of mixing it, but really knocking out those stereotypes. You know, Leslie is this badass in charge, great at her job, going to mix it up with the guys and city council and fight and not going to be like, oh, she doesn't like play to like the poor damsel in distress. Doesn't do that. Um, and you look at the other feet. I think Anne, Anne is a great character where, I think they, they, they for both men and women, it's a good example of the variety types of representation of both genders. And it's a successful nurse. She's smart. She's pretty intelligent. But I think just because you have like a lot of times, I think for like men and women, it's either you're this career go getter, blah blah blah, or you're just a family person. And I love that. Like Anne is is both. You know, and and Anne's also confused about relationships. She doesn't know what she wants. It doesn't make her ditzy or oh my god, like. But she's just she's a successful, smart, good at her job nurse. Um, but she's not sure what she's looking for. I think a lot of people feel that way. Uh, I like April is kind of like the gothy chick, but sarcastic and smarmy, but doesn't give a damn. Um, Donna's this badass, like got money and like she's like a boss kind of. And is like the alpha in when it comes to like the men she's with. Uh, I, I so I love that part. And then on the flip side, to me, with the men, you have Ron is the ultimate alpha male. You know, I I whittled this 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 cabin out of a couple of branches of trees, <laughs> and he's just like that kind of a guy, and and you know, like just straight tough. Um, Chris, you have like Chris and and Tom are these like metrosexual kind of guys and into their appearance and how they look. Andy's that classic, like, you know, guys guy, but kind of dumb, but he's a big, like, you know, goofy giant with a heart of gold. And I really love what they did with Ben Wyatt because Ben is kind of a, a, that he, to me, he's a very underrated character in helping redefine nerd culture. Where a lot of times when you saw nerd, you know, and I, I could have considered myself a nerd in a ways, you know, Leslie, like with history and, and all that stuff. And and he redefined it where Ben's a good looking dude. He he can be like, you know, smart ass, has a funny whip, you know, equipped to him. But he he's a nerd. And usually on before, you know, even I like the Big Bang Theory, but they play into the classic nerd stereotypes and other things did too, where it's like, and the, the, the uh, boy Dexter and, uh, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> like Ben's not like that. And cause that's kind of, to me, what a lot of times you see in, in today's society, nerds just don't look, well, quote unquote, nerds don't just look one way. You know, there's plenty of times I've gone to Harry Potter movies, star Wars movies and, the guys who I went to high school, I, I weren't friends with. They were the cool, like, you know, uh, punk kids who were, like, anti-everything. But they went to, like, you know, the Batman premiere dressed up as the Joker and stuff. And it was like, oh, okay, cool. Like, there's no one-size-fits-all. So I, I really like how they, you know, long story short, portrayed gender. And you got a variety of all different types of, of representation of men and women on this show. I think that's extremely well said every character had layers and they didn't fall into any um you know archetype or any stereotype every character had layers every character had their own unique potential and um 
but you know, throughout the show there, there's definitely gender commentary. Yes. Um, you know, I, I always think of that scene right after Leslie wins the city council election and she's hanging her picture on the wall and it's just nothing you see like in the background, they, they don't show all of the pictures, all of the photographs of the city council members, but the, in the one section that she's at, it's her. And there's just like a ton of men. It's just like nothing but men. Mm-hmm. And she's like hanging her photograph there very proudly. And it's just such a subtle moment, but very powerful in its message. And that this, this was a, a, a victory, not just for her. Yeah. And, and you see a lot of times when Leslie is dealing with councilman jam or other members of the council that they do show those, which is still out there, those sexist, narrow-minded men. And let's be honest, not to make this political, but there's still a lot of narrow-minded men like that who are in real-life politics today. So you see that where they kind of were like, what's this woman doing here? She, why is she talking about these issues? And, oh, she's actually making us think outside the box and care and being doing something different. Ugh. Like, you know, like you have a lot of that. And I think that's a good, like you said, good commentary on, no, we still, there's still men in the, there's still those stereotypes in the negative as well. You got people in, in, in um, government right now, women facing those battles, right? Like right as we speak. Absolutely. And I, th- hopefully those men are not as in they did as they did in Parks and Rec, keeping track of uh, the, their their coworkers' monthly cycles. Because <laughs> that was like that was like it's it, it was funny because you know it's like oh that's that's crazy like, um, but then it was kind of disturbing where you're, you like it got you thinking about the real issue behind the joke, and you're like man like there's still some people out there that like think things like women are too emotional to be in leadership roles or in government. Absolutely. And and it's why, you know, and you know, we're two men talking about this. So it's, Hey, we, we're, we're here. We, you know, should be here to listen and don't act like we know what it's like, but you know, it's, it's something that, you know, I've had friends of mine and you see all the time when you, you know, someone cares about these issues you have to be mindful of and that we're always learning and growing that that is always quick when someone, a woman is passionate about a project or passionate about a belief or, you know, is maybe upset. We're not looking at, Oh, what is, why is she upset? Why is she so passionate? It becomes like, well, she's erratic or she's emotional and that's wrong. And that's a terrible stereotype. And you're right. You look at the layer behind the joke. That is, that's why I said earlier, it's, it's not, it's maybe heightened to 10, but that's not like, oh, no one thinks that or says that. People say that. Maybe they wouldn't have said it as bluntly as those councilmen did to Leslie. But they say it and they act that way all the mm-hmm. time. And yep. sadly still, in, you know, now. Behind closed doors, whisp, you know, muttering it to themselves under their breath. Sometimes to that, that woman or groups of women, they say it. But it's not as, like I said, not as heightened as we saw on Parks and Rec because that is for entertainment. Or I should take that back. It is looking at the way we've been going in real life. It is as heightened. It is as, as yeah. you see in Parks and Rec. If not worse. Sometimes the reality, sadly, is worse than what we've seen on Parks and Rec. So 
I I think they, they did a great job. And I know Les. I mean Amy Poehler, who played Leslie Nope, started to. She was a producer. She wrote episodes, uh, directed episodes, and I think for me, I'll make this a theme of mine. You know, we're going to do shows in a past and present. That is why we need diversity in Hollywood. We need diversity in these writer rooms because I love that about this show that you get a different variety of people. You get a different variety of what people look like, but also their personalities. And like, that's one of the things that sticks out to me. And I don't, you don't get that if you just have a writer's room full of just only white men. Right. And it's because of that diverse cast that it has that huge cult following. And it, 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 so many different people are bringing a different, a different touch to the show. And it wound up being a beautiful thing. And I, it, it was, it was uh, empowering even through a sitcom to watch Leslie and her friends go through, through those battles, you know, um, you get it with jokes, you know, but it's the, it, we keep coming back to the fact that even though it's heightened, it's still rooted in real issues, you know, whether it's Tom, you know, cracking a, a joke to uh, officer Paul Blart when he's in the van, you know, what, 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 what am I sitting while Indian, <laughs> you know, which is a great line. And it's funny, but like at the same time, you're like, yeah, like this, this stuff happens in real life all the time. And it's just like, you know, it's, it's, it's one thing to, to laugh about it, at, you know, at a sitcom, but then you kind of, kind of get you thinking a little bit. And I, I think that that's one of the standouts of, of this show is how it, it somehow found a balance between all that. Absolutely. Nick, is there anything else you want to cover before we uh we get to our you know our categories of favorite characters and all that stuff no no i think um i think uh we we got it i think so too so let me ask you let you start i I don't know if we have to how about we say we make it because show like it's such an ensemble cast we'll do our 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 two either they're tied or one and two because i think one with a show like this can be very hard. So how mm. how about for this, we we do that. I think for a favorite and least favorite characters, we okay. should do. We should do. You think two is fair? Two's fair. Okay. How about you? You start it off. Okay. So personally, favorite characters um, one and two very close. I have Ben Wyatt and Andy Dwyer. Hmm. Ben, I just love Ben's character because of. You know, I mean, you said it perfectly earlier. It wasn't like the stereotypical nerd. Like he had, there were different sides of Ben that came out as the show evolved. And you found, you know, initially who you thought this guy was just a big douche, you know, coming to hack the budget. You saw him fall in love with Leslie and you learn more about him. And he's really funny. Um, He has, you know, and then he can like turn pretty stern on a dime. Um, and I just thought Adam Scott did a great job of, of playing the character. And I, he was looking back as I watched the episodes more and more, I was, I'm surprised at how funny uh, he is in certain circumstances. And then that's also why Andy, I picked purely because of humor. 
he just has some of my favorite lines in the show and how he reacts to things sometimes and how he plays within the moments and playing, you know, kind of like the, the doofus, but still kind of like a, a jock, a jockey older brother kind of, you know, vibe, but then still he's like so genuine and real and kind hearted um, that I, you know, I don't know. He's just a very lovable, lovable character. And um, to me, in my opinion, one of the funniest on the show, one of the funniest on the show. Now, years ago, I would have said Ron Swanson, but after watching it back, I just enjoy Andy's character a little bit more. Uh, interesting because the answers are different, but it's similar. Where years ago, what got me into the show was Tom Haverford, played by Aziz. In those early years, to me, he was like the lone kind of breakout star. And I seen Aziz do stand up. I liked his comedy, and he was like a rising star. And I liked the Tommy Haverford. You know, uh, he was this guy into similar things that I liked. Was as far as like when it came to like music and all that but very into, you know, heterosexual and into, you know, creams and how fashion, that's where we're kind of lost. But over time that has flipped and I'm with you with Ben Wyatt. And for me, it's also Leslie Nope. It's Ben Wyatt for, you know, like I said, and you just said it like the, the evolution of his character that to me, he's just very relatable. He's an average, he's an average guy. And he's a guy who also got, you know, like we all can relate, battling failure. You know, he, he's battling that failure from when he was a young mayor and, you know, trying to do something for his town. And it, it blew up in his face and that kind of haunted him. And through other people and going to Pawnee and Leslie, started wanting to get back involved in politics and wanting to make a difference. And he's just very relatable in the fact that he's just a, guy who has his passions and hobbies he's not over he's not overstated he's not too simple he's very relatable to like i feel relatable to him and i think most of the guys i see in in my circle he, he, there's layers there's different interests but it's not like in your face it's so um i'm with you with ben and leslie over time has just flipped to to that balance of she still is very funny yeah, Amy Poehler did a magnificent job portraying her. Um, that's why that character is so iconic. But also, once season two hits and they make that flip, and the her belief system is inspiring, and the fact that she doesn't let these things stop her, whether it's dealing with a sexist city council or people trying to not look after the best interests of Pawnee, she kind of keeps coming back... Um, to her love of, like we said earlier about that team, her love of Pawnee, her love of wanting her community to be the best that it can be is why she's there. And it's not for credit. And I think she does a great job. It's not so like Michael Scott, it was so outward and so forced, which led to great humor of, he was trying to bring that office together. And I think if you look at the office, he kind of eventually did in a way, but I like that Leslie Nope brings all those people together and it's not so it's very natural. It's not so in your face and forced, but her love of people and trying to help and do the right thing for people and the community 
brought the best out in others and brought them together. And I think that's an awesome thing. And so for my looking back, Ben and Leslie are my two favorite characters. Okay. Um, just a quick side question. Um, do you have like a favorite moment for either of them, like a favorite um, episode or a favorite scene that stands out to you when you think of those characters? Um, for Ben, it's definitely my funniest, my favorite moment. He has a lot of them when he gets fired and Rob Lowe, Chris comes his buddy to check on him. I was hoping, and, I was hoping you'd go there. And the fact that I think it's cool that he honestly, I never say it enough. It's cool. I think claymation is kind of like cool in a way like to do it. <laughs> so I give him props for doing it. But the fact that like, he thought it was this great thing. Like, it's just going to be like the greatest thing that ever hit animation. And it wound <laughs> up being like two seconds. And he kept playing it. And Rob Lowe, Chris is like, is that it? And he's like, I spent so much time on it. I thought it was so much long. That might be my favorite scene. Oh, so good. And he has a lot of them too. And I think, um, I compared it to Avatar. Yeah. <laughs> great. What was it? It was titled like Requiem for a Tuesday or yes. something like that. Yes. Um, I, I love Leslie is a season four episode. She's running for city council and Tom is, you know, entertainment 720 is failing. That's his, what he was doing with John Raffio. And he, he tries to, he sets that event up for her to get connected with small businesses. And he makes it really, you know, long story short about himself, but her just reaction to Tom making it so over the top and the way she talks about the businesses and she knows them, you know, she loves the Pawnee and she's naming JJ's diner and this one and that one. And then she looks at Sue, it's Sue salads. <laughs> she's just like, <laughs> just get <laughs> Sue salads. It just like downplays it. And then, you know, the way once she's mad at Tom and Tom's in that stretch Hummer limo with the hot tub. And then she, she's like gets in after him and starts dunking him. And why'd you do that? I don't look at your face. Why did you do that? Answer me. I don't look at your face. He keeps dunking them. I, I just thought she was really great in that episode. And she's a lot of moments, but those two jump out to me for those. Characters. Yeah, I, I was going to say the same thing for Ben. So you you definitely stole mine. Um, but uh, Andy, I don't have like one particular one. Like there are moments that, that stand out um, to me. Um, but like just little subtle things too, like where he, he loses – attention like in the middle of, like leslie talking to him yes and he's like, like that just like cracks me up um but yeah for ben definitely like as he would say the claymation the claymation claymation you, you want like I, ben i, I want to help you with my claymation he's like <laughs> that was that was the best that was the best. um i think if anyone has listened we know brandanowitz least favorite character is there anyone else who jumps out to you no it's funny i was gonna go to that too like you know it's gonna be mark brandanowitz um i i mean april's kind of whatever i mean not not april uh, and and is kind of like whatever um i don't you know i don't love her i don't hate her she's just kind of she serves a purpose, though. Yeah, no, no, she's definitely like she's right. there. She's a nice character, and she serves. She's a big role, you know, on the show, and and a big part of Leslie's life. But I, eh. yeah, she's she's probably my number two, but she's not bad character. Like, and I as I watch it through an objective eye, I see the 
the need for her, but not a bad character. There aren't a lot of bad characters on the show. No. I'm sure some people would say Jeremy Jam, but he's kind of hilarious. He's he's a good foil. He's a great a foil. Yeah, he's a great, great He's not likable, but he's a great foil. He's hilarious in that. Like he, Yeah, he plays that part so well. But there's not, you know, there's not a lot of hateable characters on this. On this. No. I mean, not that they have to be hateable, but like, you know, it's filled with, with great characters. Which brings me, if you don't mind, if I introduce ahead, this next part, which brings me to this one. We're, we're going to name this award, right? Mm-hmm. And this is going to be for future episodes that we do as well. And this award will be henceforth known as the John Ralphio Award. Which is, you know, I'm going to let you explain it because you put it perfectly the other day. And, and you know, what, what, why are we giving this award and what is unique about it? The John Raphael Award is, we look at Parks and Rec, John Raphael is not a, a recurring character, recurring cast member who's on every week. He's on a few times during a season, but when he comes on the screen, he sticks out. It's like, so compare it to sports, it's that person who comes off the bench and whether it's they are making a lot of shots or they're getting a lot of foul, they, they, they bring a lot of action. When they're in there, you notice them. Not in there for a long period of time of a game or for this, for TV, an episode. But when they're in there, they light it up and they jump off the screen and you notice them. So to me, John Raphael is maybe... It's hard to find a better character than that, like to like represent it. I think, especially for the 21st century, and you can maybe look at like Newman and Seinfeld. But I think John Raphael hits it even more perfect because I think he jumps off the screen more, and I think he's on. I don't have any figures in front of me. He's on less time, in my opinion, than what Newman was on Seinfeld, as far as appearances and just like running minutes. Oh, for so, sure. You know, he just lights it up. So it's the John Raphael Award. So obviously, I think you can name other people from Parks and Rec. It's like the, the funny townspeople and other characters are great. But the John Raphael, we're naming it after him. So it's it's John Raphael is the first of the John Raphael Award because uh, he, he, he just lights it up. Yeah, it, it is. It, it starts with John Raphael. We're going to name the award after him. The another name that pops out to me to get the John Ralphio Award for Parks and Rec would be uh, Doctor Saperstein. Um, I just always enjoyed his scenes. I I liked him. I like Purd. Purd was great as well. Purd was great. Yes. Um, I I loved it. Um, and then we're gonna wrap it up soon. But I loved it when if you watch or you can see it on YouTube. It's after the show is done. It's probably a couple years ago. The Paley Center did like a uh you know, a reunion night for the, and the whole cast showed up for Parks and Rec. It was very awesome. And Michael Shore was there. And to introduce the cast, Pat Oswald is a big fan of Parks and Rec. He hosted it, but they had Purd come out in that voice and he introduced the entire cast and kicked it over to Pat Oswald. And it was like, he had, he had just as big an ovation as everyone else. Cause it was a surprise to hear him do it. And, um, he he's by number two. Well, you got to give the John Raphael. He he just is. He's great. He oh, he man. just like him. That bond with him and and Tom Haverford, and he even shows some humanity. Honestly, you know that he just loves partnering and wants to connect and create with his buddy Tommy Swag, Tommy Timberlake. 
So I, I, I love that. I love it. So the John Raphael award, we got to give props to John Raphael. Absolutely, man. Um, do you want to just reiterate? I was going to do favorite episode. Do you just want to say again what your favorite episode is? Yeah, mine, mine is the season five episode um, with the, the, the bachelor party. So best man, I believe it's called. It's in season five when um, they have a separate night. The girls, you know, Leslie and Ben are getting married. So Leslie's bachelorette party. Uh, ben has his bachelor party. And for the guys, Ben has his bachelor party doing the whole Catan you know, board game thing. And then it kind of through conversation is discovered that nobody there has ever had a bachelor party. So Chris being the best man and being a good guy, he does everyone's best bachelor party, their dream bachelor party that night. And on the flip, Leslie and the girls are trying to stop what I forget the name, Paunchburger from building on that site. So they're, and then Leslie did some dirt or somebody did dirt. So the girls are really having a rough time because they're trying to, uh, to stop councilman jam. So it's really a vice versa tale in two, two parties, but it's a, it's a funny, awesome episode for me. It really is. That was my top choice as well for favorite episode. And, um, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That is my favorite as well. And then I, I also a close second was the uh, season premiere of uh, season six when they travel to London. Um, and I think that's like a, I want to say that's like a longer episode. Yeah, um, you're right. The final, the final scenes though, with like Ron going to the distillery, I just thought that was really, um, and it like a really cool change of pace for, for the show. More like, uh, more sincere than comical. Um, but I just really enjoyed that. So, yeah. And I'll say this real quick, just on that. Um, the only time in the series history, I don't, like to admit it well i do i don't mind i'm a, i'm comfortable i i get emotional watching that part uh, the ron's part yes that going oh, to distillery yeah. like, like then when he reads leslie's message and he gets emotional um and the, I, I i agree you said it perfectly it's a change of pace you don't really see it kind of coming and um when he gets emotional i've teared up at that part because it is very uh very touching and very nice that's a very impactful scene i love that scene um, so that leaves us with our final category, and that is the most binge-worthy season. You know, the reason why we do this, why we do this podcast, you know, why is this show, what makes it binge-worthy, what's the most binge-worthy season of Parks and Recreation? I have mine. I I, I don't think we're going to match, but I'm, I'm curious as to what, what you think. I believe it is season four. Wow, we do agree. Yeah, when she runs for for council, that is her. Um, it's just hilarious, and uh, from the debates from Paul Rudd, Paul being Rudd, there, man, kills it. Great, you know, great, you know. It's just um, the debacle that they have along the way. The that's when you really, to me, see Ben and Leslie just kill it as a couple. Better than Pam and Jim, by the way, on The Office. Um, and just great moments, <laughs> great moments from, you know, when she's doing the rally on the ice ring and get on your feet. Dude. And maybe one of the, I don't I know, last out loud harder at a part of that show than, than that one. It's so weird that you just said that because that's the exact point that I wanted to make. 
I've told you before that I don't laugh laugh out loud much during TV, like watching TV shows. Man, when I saw that scene for the first time, I could not stop laughing. I was dying, and I was laughing out loud. Every time they recued that music, I would laugh even harder. It's 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 a uh, season four. Her going through that and trying to balance everything out. Um, I is the trial of Leslie Nope on that season as well. Um, for the for the recall. No, I meant when Chris about questioned them about their relationship. Oh yes, I believe it is. It's and either that. I think that's. I think that's. Uh, I think that's in that season as well, and that's a that's a classic episode for me. I can say. Um, yeah, I'm trying to to double check it. Yes, it is. The Trial of Leslie Nope. That's a season four, season four episode. Yeah. And um, just, you know, we find out that episode, Jerry's real name is Gary. You know, that's, <laughs> that's classic to me. Uh, he so, goes from Jerry to Gary to Larry. Yeah. So season four for me. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Season four for me as well. For all the mention, for all the reasons you just stated, it just... So many moments stand out in that season because of the the city council election. And even when they like they choose to do it for her is an awesome moment, too, about how they like reveal it as as a gift to her. Um, which I hope is not the end of season three. <laughs> I could be misspoken. No, I think um, you're right. I think you're so it's I mean, Paul Rudd comes on and kills it. Um the person that they got to play uh, his campaign manager kills it. They just have a lot of good guest stars on that season that help really bring an, an extra layer to, to the show. And it stands out to me above the rest. Yeah. And, and I just want to say this real quick. We mentioned it, but I, I will do a disservice if I don't even name them because you look at it even just in season four, but you see Chelsea Peretti, who was Gina on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, but wrote, Mike Scully wrote for this, Alan Yang, who helped to create um, Aziz's show, Masters of None, he wrote, uh, Michael Shore wrote, the late, great Harris Whittles, who, you know, gone too soon from us, but coined the phrase humble brag, and also was Harris on the show. Uh, as it was a, also a funny character, can qualify for the John Raphael Award. Um, he was a writer, so that diversity. Dan Gore, you know, who big time what he did on you know Nine Nine and all these other shows. So the writing room and the diversity. Nick Offerman wrote, so it, it, that's really huge to me, and, and you'll hear me point that out as well. We, and to me, this show, even though a lot of improv, it's so well written. So I just want to give that props too. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that that's it for me, uh, D. I didn't know if you had anything else. No. But it, you know, put put the bow on uh, Parks and Rec. We do. And uh, we're, we're going to be, you know, for everyone, please, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts. Please rate and review uh, wherever, you know, Spotify. We're on Anchor, Google Pod, wherever you listen to podcasts, please listen uh, um, and rate, review, tell your friends about it. And by the time this show drops, we will also have a Twitter page for you. And on that Twitter page is where we will kind of hint to reveal what the next show 
for next week's episode we're going to be uh, looking at as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm hyped for it, man. Let's do it. All right. For my main man and my co-host, my partner in crime, Nick, I'm Jeremy, and thank you for listening to Ready, Set, Binge.